0: We are continuing along the heart journey. And in this teaching, I want to look briefly at what I call the language of the heart. The language of the heart. Before I unpack that, let me ask a question. Who do you think was the most heart-centered person in the Bible? Of course, other than Jesus, because that's the obvious answer to any question like this. But who do you think was the most heart-centered person in Scripture? Well, if you answered David, King David, I would have to agree with you that he was by far the most heart-centered person in Scripture to the point where he was actually called a man after God's own heart. Now that is probably one of the highest compliments that anyone could ever be given to be called a man after God's own heart. Now you notice he wasn't called a man after God's own head. It wasn't just the way that he thought it was, it was his heart, the the engaged and worshipful heart. That was the thing that set David apart from the rest. And David, this man after God's own heart is so significant in God's economy that the eternal son of God, Jesus would be called the son of David and would rule on David's throne for eternity. That is something fairly significant and it shows the importance that the Father places on heart-centred people. But I want to suggest that when we talk about the heart and the heart journey and being heart-centred, that the heart has a language. Our head, our rationale has a language. You know, it's quite literal. Um, it's very just purely thinking-based. But the heart has a language, and language is incredibly important for reasons that I'll unpack in just a moment. But the heart has a language. The heart has a way of speaking that actually expresses it that is different from the language of the head with which us in the Western world are so incredibly used to. We're so used to telling us what what we think, we're so used to telling each other our opinions, facts, data, all of that kind of stuff. That is stuff that comes from the head. But the heart has a very different language. So to illustrate, I want you to think about the Psalms. And in fact, what I would love you to do after you've watched or listened to this teaching is to go and just have a bit of a look through the Psalms and for the rest of the week or the rest of the time um, between now and Life Hubs on the weekend um, and even after that. Go searching through the Psalms and have a look at the heart language in particular that is used for the way that David in particular describes things. Have a look again at Psalm 77 and Psalm 102 because they are full of emotions. And again, look, there's 150 Psalms. There is plenty to have a look at. Have a look for the amount of time and the words that David in particular uses that are emotional in nature, where he talks about his anger, he talks about his frustration, he talks about his disappointment, he talks about his confusion, he talks. Um, so the, the emotions are named um, quite clearly in many cases, but not only are the emotions named, but they're allowed to tell their story So when David says things like, why is it that the wicked prosper? You know, that that is frustration talking. But he doesn't just say, I'm frustrated. He lets his frustration tell a story. Why is it that the wicked prosper? And yet the righteous don't seem to. He goes through all of this. And like in Psalm 77 and Psalm 102, um, he goes through this story of letting this emotion out, of letting this emotion tell the story, But he knew not only how to do that, but also to bring those emotions into the presence of God. In other words, he didn't try and push them aside to meet with God. He actually brought all of those emotions into the presence of God with him. He processed them in the presence of God. And we know that he processed them with God because so often in the Psalms, and it's very much the case in Psalm 77 and Psalm 102, that... and and they are particularly disappointment kind of psalms, Um, it's very clear that he came out the other end of the psalm with very different emotions and a very different perspective. So the heart has a language. Why is the language important? I'm going to talk from a a neuropsych perspective just for a second. And so stay with me. Don't, Don't lose me here. Language creates a connection between your neocortex, which is the higher reasoning center of your brain, part of your frontal lobe. It's where our logic, our rationale is. Um, It's what's called the executive center of the brain. So the right language creates a connection between that rational part of my brain and the emotional parts of my brain and actually my physical heart as well. So when I am able to name my emotions effectively, I feel connected to my emotional world. When I'm unable to give, when when my neocortex, when my rational center of my brain is unable to name the emotions that are being felt in my emotional world, in my heart, then my neocortex starts to feel anxious and out of control. And then I either take steps to transfer that anxiety onto someone else, um, or I suppress it and shove it down. And both have really unhealthy outcomes, both relationally and in terms of my own personal health. There is actually, and here is a name, there's a name for the inability to express emotion. It's called alexithymia, alexithymia. And it is the inability to identify and name feelings. It's the inability to put words to what you feel. And if you go and just study that, go and Google it, alexithymia, you'll find that the health outcomes of people who suffer from alexithymia, the inability to name and identify emotions, the health outcomes of that are particularly poor. So it actually impacts your whole body. It impacts your your physical health, but it also impacts your relational health. But I also want to suggest that the inability to name emotions and to have language around the heart also impacts your ability to experience tangibly the presence of God. And I'll go to that one in just a moment. But I also want to suggest that naming emotions correctly, the ability to not only name emotions, but to name them correctly, precedes having the right strategy to process and to deal with those emotions. So let me talk about a really common male fail in terms of emotions, where us guys often get it wrong. And it's in the area of grief, and most of you that know me know that I have a fair passion for this area of grief, um, because in the West, us white people don't tend to do grief particularly well. Men in particular have one particular trait, they have many actually, but this one particular trait, which is when we are grieving, we often say that we're angry because anger feels powerful, but grief feels a whole lot more vulnerable. So we often name our grief as I'm angry, but anger and grief are two very different things with two very different causes. So anger is a blocked goal. Something has got in the way of something that is important to me. And the more important that thing is to me, the stronger the anger I feel. Grief is the loss of something. And the more important that thing was to me, the, um, the, the, the greater the grief that I feel. Now, if I am grieving, but I label it as anger, the strategy to deal with anger and to process anger healthily versus the strategy to deal with grief healthfully is actually quite different. Because anger is a blocked goal, then a strategy for dealing with anger is obviously to acknowledge the anger, but then I need to either reevaluate the goal or I need to find a different strategy to reach the goal. Because anger and everything that it brings with it in terms of your your body chemistry and your facial expressions, um, it, it is an emotion that says exterminate the obstacle you know, obliterate that thing. So when you see someone who's angry, their eyes tend to glare because they're glaring at what is perceived as the obstacle and they want to obliterate it. That's the natural, um, the natural, if you like, primitive response that comes with anger. But then ultimately, once I've named the anger, I've identified it and given it a chance to express, the way to deal with anger is to, as I said, reevaluate the goal or to find a different strategy to get to the same goal. That is a very useful strategy with anger. It's absolutely useless when it comes to grief because the strategy for dealing with grief is to grieve. I know that sounds really obvious, but the strategy to deal with grief is to grieve. Jesus said, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. So if you want to experience comfort from your grief, the way to get to that is to mourn. See, even Jesus identified. emotions in the things that he spoke of and he even wept at the tomb of lazarus he was very very heart connected so naming emotions precedes having the right strategy to deal with them and when we don't have the right strategies to deal with our emotional world we tend to get emotionally clogged up and we tend to get emotionally bogged down and stuck and either it ends up that i just i just don't feel much at all because i've suppressed everything Um, Or I I struggle to connect with emotions that I really do want to connect with. You know, I struggle to really connect intimately with key people close to me, maybe my spouse, maybe my kids, um, key friendships, whatever that is. I I struggle to, to actually make a genuine heart connection because in my heart, I'm all clogged up with all sorts of historical emotions that not only have I not been able to process, but in some cases I've adopted wrong strategies to try and process them. And then when I come to God with them, I don't seem to find breakthrough because it's actually knowing the truth that sets us free. So that was John chapter 8, where Jesus said, you will know the truth and the truth will set you, th- set you free. That word truth is not talking about doctrine, it's actually talking about you will be in touch with reality. You will know reality as it is. In other words, you're not going to be at all deceived about what is really going on. And that knowledge of what is really going on, of what is real, will set you free. And for some of us, the knowledge that we need of what's real is the knowledge of how we actually feel. Many of us haven't even given ourselves permission to feel certain things. We've been told or we've learned or we've even told ourselves that certain emotions are okay and certain emotions aren't. In the church, we're a bit classic at this, that, um, that being happy and joyful and being pumped, you know, is, is, is okay and it's fine. But being sad or being angry, that is not okay and that's just a lie. The Bible never says, don't get angry. It just says, in your anger, don't sin. It assumes that you're going to get angry because you live in the world. But it just says, in your anger, make good choices. Don't let your anger, don't let your emotion lead you to make bad choices. In your anger, don't sin. Don't didn't say, don't get angry or that anger is bad. We often fall into the, the trap of judging our emotions and saying some are good and some are bad. And ultimately, that has the effect of shutting us down. We need to... Let our emotions out in a healthy and a safe place, honestly, unfiltered, and then once they're out, we can then process them with God, or we can process them with a trusted person. Now, why am I going after all this emotional stuff? Why is this stuff important? Why am I talking about emotional strategies? You know, this is not a corporate training workshop. Um, what? Why? One of the key things that I want to go after here is that when we clog up emotionally, two things happen. When we clog up emotionally, it impacts our ability to be genuinely heart connected with the people around us. That's one thing. And then even more importantly, secondly, when we clog up emotionally, it inhibits at best and completely shuts down at worst our ability to experience tangibly the manifest presence of God. Because our emotions and our heart are all part of the same thing. And our heart and our spirit are also intimately connected. If you like, our heart is the thing that sits in between the natural and the spiritual realm. And so when we experience the presence of God, we experience it through our heart first. But when our heart is so clogged up with unprocessed, um, unhealed emotion for whatever reason, then it actually inhibits our ability to feel anything and that includes the presence of God. So one of the reasons I'm so passionate about seeing people unclogged in their emotional world and healed in their heart is because then they are much freer and much more able to experience the presence of God. And I don't know if you've noticed, I've noticed this in my own journey. The more stuck in my head I was early in my kingdom journey, the less I experienced the presence of God tangibly. And I had people around me go, oh, can you feel God here? Or I really sense the presence of God here. And I'm like, no, nope, don't feel a thing. And that's because I had a whole lot of stuff clogged up in here. The more that my heart has become unclogged and has become healed from stuff of life. Um, relationships, all the things that come from just living on planet Earth, the more that my heart got healed from those things and I I learned how to process my heart healthily, the more I'm actually able to experience the love of the Father, the embrace of heaven. And when you experience the love of the Father, tangibly, it chases away every orphan thing. It chases away every disconnected thing. And we know from um, 1 John that perfect love drives out fear and fear is the enemy of everything that is good. So my heart for you is that you will experience tangibly, regularly, daily, the manifest love of the Father, that you'll be able to feel His embrace. You'll be able to feel the warmth of His love shining upon you. You wouldn't just know it as a concept in your head or as a theology, but you would know it as an experience. When Paul prays, Um, He does it in Ephesians, he does it in a number of of his epistles. When he prays, when he says, I pray, particularly in Ephesians, that you may know the the height, the depth, the width um, of the love of God. That word know, again, is that experiential word, the word gnosko, that you would know it by experience, not that you would know by concept, that you would know it by experience. Ultimately, that is what I'm warring for, for you and for your heart so that you can experience His love and that experience of His love can heal every wound, every pain, every dysfunction. And from there can help you to come into deep, meaningful connection with your brothers and sisters in the family of God around you that help will help you to know the key things that every human being knows, which is that I belong, I am loved, I am known, and that I matter, I have a purpose, I have a destiny, I can contribute something. That is my heart for you as we go on this heart journey. But to do this heart journey well, it's imperative that we learn the language of the heart and the language of the heart is emotional words. It's emotional pictures, it's story, it's musical. It's not just facts, data, opinions, and we're so good at that. It is much more conceptual. It's it's more artistic. Um, It's more metaphorical. Um, But if you think of the language of the emotion in the Psalms, the story of emotion in the Psalms, and then we've added so much music to the Psalms and so many of the songs that we sing in worship have their basis in the Psalms. That kind of thing is the language of the heart and that language needs to become our native tongue. Let me pray for us. Father, we're so used to being in our head, in our culture, us, white, Western, Anglo-Saxon culture. We are so used to being in our head and talking the language of the head. But God, would you take us, would you continue us on this journey of being heart-centered people, of genuinely living from the heart and learning the language of the heart as we open up the book of Psalms, Lord, would it just, would, it, would it jump out at us? Would it come alive in us in such a way that we can connect to what is going on in our heart? And for many of us, that's going to mean at first we connect with our pain. But we know as that happens that your love is bigger than our pain, that the cross paid the price for every bit of pain, every bit of trauma, every lie um, that has ever traumatized us. You've paid a price for that already. So as that surfaces, we know that it's to detox that trauma and that pain, not to traumatize us again. And that you've already paid a price for our healing and you long for us to partner with you for the healing of our heart. So Lord, I wanna ask for every person in the sound of my voice, that your love would surround them, and that for all of us, you would teach us a new language, that the language of the heart would become our most native language as we connect with you and as we connect with each other. In Jesus' name, amen.